microphone. Thanks, guys, so much. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for coming out so bright and early at the crack of 9 a.m., not the crack of dawn, but it still feels early when you have a night meeting. Um, when I get going here, I'm going to speak or at least read from Genesis 15, so you could start to turn there. Uh, you guys, I don't know if Simon mentioned, but I switched my messages today, and I apologize. I kept telling myself to text Simon and let him know, but I disobeyed myself. <laughs> I, I didn't remember to do that. So let me put my phone down here. We are still looking at these large, larger biblical categories. I had intended to talk about uh, God's eternal purpose and will mention that, I believe, today. But I feel like it's more appropriate, at least, you know, I, I wasn't settled until I did uh, settle on speaking about covenant. So I just want to say a few things about covenant. But for those of you who weren't here last night, and even for those of you who were, uh, I, my, my overarching theme is an intentional pursuit of our Hebrew roots. Okay? Why should we pursue our Hebrew roots? Because they bring us into the biblical world and into the biblical faith. Okay, it's not about being Jewish. It's about seeing the raw authenticity of kingdom faith and living it out rather than being conditioned by the world around us and being conditioned by our popular traditions. So it's not a matter of just appreciating Israel, though that's hugely important. And, and we should specifically pray for Israel. And you're going to hear a lot about that sort of thing as we go. Uh, with the other sessions. But focusing on the Israel issue is also focusing on God's heart and God's way of operating on the earth. So that's the overarching theme I have, and then we were going to dive into some specific things. But still, I'm going to read a list that I have written in my notes about the benefits of intentionally pursuing our Hebrew root. All right, and it's a summary from last night. The intentional pursuit of our Jewish root or our, our Hebraic origins, that pursuit shapes our spiritual psyche to think biblically rather than worldly or traditionally or conventionally. And we really need this, especially in the Western church, because we have so much uh, wealth and freedom and technology. All these things are good and useful, but we can basically do what we want. We can create our own world and invite God into it rather than say, Lord, I bow to you. What would you have me to do? What does it mean to serve Jesus, biblically speaking? We tend, okay, I don't mean to complain. <laughs> Actually, I don't complain at all. It's just kind of a prophetic statement. But we just tend to be basically worldly and superficial and not major on the major things. We major on the minor things that are popular and easily consumed. We tend to be image-based and consumer-oriented. We have to go deeper and go into the, the, the maturity of the faith. An honest pursuit of our Hebrew roots helps us do that. All right. Well, so, yeah, we, wanna, we, want, we don't want our spiritual psyche shaped by the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist. And we do tend to do that. We, we want it shaped biblically, so we have to fight to get to the roots, always. We have to fight to do that. So an intentional pursuit of our Hebrew roots helps us do that. This pursuit challenges our worldly and religious assumptions. This pursuit gives us a pathway to a kingdom lifestyle. Now that's my heart. You know, if Scott asked me to come speak at a Together for Israel conference, I'm going to talk about Israel, but I'm also going to use that as a doorway to just preach the word <laughs> and talk about a biblical lifestyle, a lifestyle that is a life of worship, like we talked about last night, in the deepest sense of that word, that means it succumbs to God's ways, even when they contradict our ways. That was last night. Or today I'm going to talk about covenant. So a biblical lifestyle is covenantal. We live in a society that's wired to contradict covenant. We make contracts. Scott, you talked about this in class a little bit the other day, and, and you wrote about it in your book. I helped you out there, so I'm exposed to that. It, it's a worthy topic. I mean, I, there, there was one recent um, uh, a, a football coach, I think, that had like 
I don't know, like 25 years worth of contracts in seven years. How do you sign 25 years of a contract of commitment and have... I, I, no, he had several contracts that equaled 25 years of commitments in a seven-year period. <laughs> That's how many times he switched. It's like, what did the first one mean? You know, it's like we have ways out of our commitments, you know, and, and then in, instead of church being a covenantal community, it's something we rather choose by our liking and where we're fed. So it, it's, it's literally like it's, it's, it's in our psyche. I call it a psychosis, but I don't want to say that out loud because it's too negative a word. I mean, it's, just, it's like, well, I guess I did. It, it's like we're really conditioned. It's like, well, where, where should, what has this and what has that, rather than having a sense of, something deeper and more mature in a covenantal commitment and relationship. So do you see what I'm saying? To me, an intentional pursuit of our Jewish root brings us into God's heart and the way he operates. And when Jesus was on the earth and he proclaimed and taught the kingdom, this is what he taught. He came right out of the Jewish root and he made disciples. You read the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, you can't get more Jewish than that, but it's for all people. He even called people into his covenant, and within the Sermon on the Mount, referred to Gentiles. He says, don't, don't, don't just pray a lot because you think you're going to be heard for your many words. That's the way the Gentiles pray. But when you come down to it, he wasn't simply referring to people who were not Jewish. Every once in a while in Scripture, the word Gentile doesn't refer to a non-Jew. It refers to a person outside of covenant with God. So Jesus is like, in our family, we don't pray that way. We don't just keep running the ticker tape because we're going to be heard for our many words. And of course, you know, there were different brands of pagan prayer that if you pray, you know, if you repeat certain things and enough you can manipulate the god and so there was this whole pagan world he was contradicting but we have our own version of that it's like it's it's the quantity not the quality even though i believe in a lot of prayer but still that's not the point is to try to plug in the time card but to connect with god and then he taught a way of praying which is covenantal so the point is that jesus was speaking to anyone who believed who was inside the covenant outside the covenant they're gentiles the Gentiles, the nations worry about these things. But you don't have to worry about these things because your father takes care of sparrows. He's certainly going to take care of you because we're in covenant with him. So he, he, he discipled people coming right out of the Jewish root because it's the kingdom root. It's the kingdom way. I'm already now into my message. But still to summarize, uh, so it gives us, a, the pursuit of our Jewish root gives us a pathway to a kingdom lifestyle and culture. The pursuit of our Jewish root uh, gives us the categories of biblical faith in which we live, move, and have our being. So I like talking about those categories, and I like encouraging people into those categories. Last night we talked about God's sovereignty, that he's the king, and that a life of worship is our only proper response to that king, but I got specific about embracing God's ways. Today, I want to talk about another category, and that's the category of covenant, which I've already scratched the surface for. And so we're going to look back at the covenant with Abraham because this is the beginning of life. <laughs> There's a reason why this is in the book of Genesis. Abraham, loosely speaking, if you would, he was like a new Adam. He was like a first man. This is the beginning. Um, he's not literally the first man in history, but the reason why he's in the book of Genesis is because he is a Genesis man. He's the Genesis of the nation of Israel, and he's the Genesis of all nations who will believe. It's part of the covenant. Part of the covenant with Abraham's seed, Scott, was for all seeds. Because whenever God wants all of something, he starts with one. That's why... Gentiles should not be offended by God's continued covenant with Israel. We should celebrate it because we know God made a covenant with a nation, which means he loves the nations. It's his way in. If he's the God who starts with a seed that grows, then he's always going to go for the one. He wants lots of people, he makes one. Because he's all about life and multiplication. 
And then Eve comes and there's one family. So he starts with one family to make many families. And once they begin to multiply, he calls a man out. One man who will then have one son, who will then have another son. That son will have 12. Those 12 will produce the tribes. And they will be the witness to the nations. And eventually, from all nations, we can come in. This is the way God operates. So to me, that's an important thing to say. It helps us kind of manage. Why do we have to, okay, I believe you, but why focus on Israel? Because that's the way God operates. It's his way. We know the Lord. We love his ways. When he wants many, he chooses one. I know God loves Wales, where my daughter, not the, the mammal, the sea mammal, the country of Wales, where my daughter lives. I know God loves this, this political state of immigrants called the United States of America. I know God loves Mexico. I know he loves the African nations. I know he loves Southeastern uh, uh, Asian nations because he loves that one nation and made a covenant and even said to them as his servant, um, you are a covenant to the people. You're a covenant to the peoples. My promise to you means I've made a promise to them. Now bear that burden. So it's just covenant. When he called Abraham out and made a covenant, it was like the beginning of life for us. I see the new covenant as the update of the Abrahamic covenant. It's the fulfillment. So anyway, we're in Genesis, and we're looking at a new Genesis man, the beginning of a new thing, especially in light of, I mean, think about it. We're in Genesis 15. We've had the fall, so obviously now sin is a problem. It's an infection. We have sin and we have death. And then... Um, it got so bad, God had to wipe everything out and start over. So it was like, if you think about, okay, this, here we go, Old Testament survey. Um, it was a new Genesis, right? Because in the very beginning, it was all watery chaos. And then God spoke, and he separated the seas. And he brought land, and then he started creating things, and out of the land, he made a person. Well, then, if you look at the imagery of the flood when he wiped everything out, it's a flood again. It's all the watery chaos. Again, he went all the way back to the beginning and brought one family through. So Noah was like a new Adam because things got so corrupt and there were sons of God coming down and giants and all this. It was, it's really wild stuff, but it's like this is too much. But then he made a covenant. I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to do Genesis again with the water. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to wipe everything out and, and recreate things. It's like, we're, we're just going to carry on now. But he, so he made a covenant to do that. I won't start all the way over again. And then after Noah, there was the Tower of Babel where the nations, so to speak, all the people were, re, were united. They had one language and they're defying God. It's like, we're going to make our own council. We're going to rule ourselves. We're going to be ourselves. You know, this, this big tower was a statement. We're going to come to the place of the throne. The tower, like a mountain type of man-made structure, was a statement saying, we want to take the place of the Most High. It was, that, it was that was what was implied. And God came down and divided them, and he says, all right, I have to bring something out of all these divided nations. And that's why he chose Abraham. He brought him out, he made a covenant, and he said, all these nations, they're defying me, they're given over to their gods, I'm going to choose one nation that will, I will be their God and they will bring a testimony to the world so that when the world is ready, I will bring my king and he will call all nations in. So in verse 1, after these things, right, we're in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. So remember that. The word of Yahweh came to Abram, Avram, exalted father. He says, don't fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. So he's already making promises. I'm going to guard you because you're going to be against the tide. I'm going to guard you, but I'm going to bless you with reward. And boy, was that a wonderful statement. Just wait and see. Your reward shall be very great. But I, just as a little comma, a little side thing, remember this word of the Lord bit. Because that's what, what came to the prophets. But it's interesting that the word came in a vision. Abram said, Lord Yahweh, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Because of the promised seed. Abram, Abram said, since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, uh, through another wife, 
your promise will come. But look in verse 4, then behold, the word of Yahweh came to him. So some time had gone by. The word of Yahweh comes to him again. And the word says, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, no, wait, I'm sorry, just hold on a second. Who took him outside? Who took him outside? What? Yahweh did, but that's grammatically, that's not the subject. The word took him outside. Just saying. To me, this is where John is coming from when he says, in the beginning was the word. The word here was not just a message. There was a person there called the word. And there came a day where that word didn't just appear, but he became human. That's the word. Yeah. So this goes all the way back. It says he took him outside. In Jeremiah 1, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, and they're talking back and forth. And then it says, and it does say here, it's Derek, no, Derek? Yes! It does say in Jeremiah 1, then Yahweh touched his lips. But up to that point, it was the word speaking. And then it says Yahweh touched his lips, because the word is Yahweh. He's the Yahweh appearing as a person who then became flesh. <laughs> In John chapter 1, bringing us back to Genesis, and it, it's, what, what is John saying? It's new covenant now. That, that one who was appearing, he's here now in the flesh. He's, he's one of us forever. He's not just appearing. He's gone through all the natural elements of humanity. He's become one of us. He's going through our trials. God has given a legacy into humanity, and humanity has given a legacy to God. We are married forever. Humanity in Yahweh, it's just extraordinary, our Jesus. Well, this word takes him outside and says, look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So there's your beginning of the faith. When Paul talks about justification by faith, he goes back to this story, that God's able to raise the dead. So I see faith as not just an intellectual assent to certain truth, though it includes that. We're persuaded of right doctrine. That's a part of faith. But faith is more than that. Faith is a pledge of allegiance from the heart. Okay, it, it's, we, Paul does not say you believe with your mind. He says you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. So faith is a deep conviction. Faith is a pledge of allegiance. Faith is covenantal. That's why it appears here. Because the Lord is in the midst of marrying this people that begins with Abram right here. And Abram believed God. He says, righteousness, you're a part of my covenant. And when you become a part, I make you righteous. That's the beginning right here. This is not different than the new covenant. It's just it's just isolated. It's the beginning. Then comes the law and all these centuries. And then the whole thing gets blown open when Yeshua comes and says, I can give this to everyone who believes. You, you don't have to be of Abraham's natural seed. You just believe because that's the way into covenant. That's the way it was from the beginning. So covenant is so wonderful. It's so good for us. We resist it in our flesh. Even superficial Christians do. But let me tell you something. Deep down in our spirit, we want covenant. We want forever. We want something to live and die for. We want to be able to worship God who, who says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I, God covenanted with humanity. I want something. There's something in humanity I want so badly that if you defy me, I will come and die to get you back. It says in Hebrews I, that the Lord does not give help to angels. When they fall, they're fallen. There's something in the creative power of God that he created in the depths of the human heart that he simply did not want to enjoy eternity without. He became one of us. He designed us so that one day he could become one of us. There's something about us he desired. Deep Christ to deep. God is the covenant God. When he loves, he doesn't just have affection. He surrenders his entire being to the one he, that he loves 
the most deeply. Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a family from forever. He's like, now I want to create an entity, a host of people that I can bring into that family in a way that angels can't come. And we're created. We're not God. I don't know if you knew that. But Yahweh did not become an angel. He became a human. There's something about us that's eternally special. That God said, I'm going to make a covenant and I will swear to my own hurt. I will marry you forever. And if, if you defy me, I will suffer for your defiance to get you back. That's swearing to your own hurt. That's covenant. To think about a biblical root, a Jewish root, is to say we want to be a covenantal people. And we worship God for being the covenant God. That's what it means when it says God is love. I mean, the affections are all there. We need to enjoy and pick from all that fruit. But I'm telling you, to say God is love means he's trinity. It means he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever always. We are completely committed covenantally to one another. That's what love is. God's kind of love, again, it doesn't just enjoy something for a season and then pass on if it doesn't meet his needs. He's, he covenants forever. He says, when I love, I covenant forever. You have all of me. All of who I am will benefit you because that's, that's covenant love. I want to say thank you, God, for being a covenant God. I get up in the morning, I don't even think of a fraction of who I'm really dealing with. And he's like, okay with that. It's like, your little brain can't handle that anyway. Like a little mosquito that hits the black light, that's what we would be if we really got the download all at once. Psst, you're done. Don't even exist anymore. It's like Peter says, you call Father the one who's going to judge all creation. I mean, I, I, it hit me this morning, you know, with the big, the puffy eyes, you're just getting out of bed, you start to worship. <clears throat> it's not the absolutely first thing I did, by the way. <laughs> I was laying in my bed, I ran through Instagram, that was not good, but it was just confession's good for the soul. <laughs> then I get up and I start to pace, and I just thought for a second, wow, I'm right now in my hotel room praying to the one without beginning and without end. And he's going to judge all nations. Every single solitary human being that ever lived will stand before him one day. And right now I'm talking to him. Hey. Um, now what do you say? <laughs> that's got, kind of got a revelation. That's like, ah, da, 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 ya, da, 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 da. Here's what I say. Thank you, Father God. Your love is everlasting. You welcome me. You say, come boldly before the throne of grace. He loves his children. He makes covenant with us so I can find comfort in the same God that gives me some trepidation because he's the one who loves me like, an, like a father who sent his son to die for me. Okay, anyway, enough with the personal anecdotes. We carry on here. Um, did I finish my point there? Shall we move on? Yes, verse 6. Abraham believed in Yahweh and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So faith is covenantal. When we believe we make covenant with God. Did you know that? Did you know that's why we're baptized? Because we're swearing to God, you have me forever. That's what baptism is. That's why I take baptism extremely seriously in a joyful way. You're swearing. It's, it's, it's an oath. The psalmist said, I have sworn and confirmed that I would keep your righteous judgments. I'm a, you're a covenant God. I'm a covenant man. I swear. I mean, I don't use that language, but the psalmist did. I have sworn and confirmed. We do that too. We swear when we, when we get baptized, and then we confirm it every time we have the Lord's Supper. It's a covenant meal. Just saying. Just where I come from. I don't do covenant snacks. We don't do the chip and the sip. We have an ongoing Passover. We, we're coming together because we're at the same table. We're, we're, we're blood. We're bone to each other. So we have a meal. Our propensity to do the convenient chip and a sip has a deeper statement. We're saying, it's a covenant. We're saying, mm. it's instinctive. Remember the Corinthians enjoying their covenant meal? But they were leaving some people out of the meal? Think about this. It, I'm not, there's no magic to the Lord's Supper. It's a covenant meal. It's a joyful celebration, but at the center of it is Jesus. So they're 
celebrating a covenant meal. And in so doing, they were breaking covenant. Think about that and what, what was happening. They were being judged. Because you can't eat a covenant meal while breaking covenant and your immune system remains strong. So they were literally sick and some of them literally had died. It's just not, yeah. And we're like, oh yeah, wow, well, God was just judging them. It's like, it's not that simple. It's like they were doing a covenant meal without keeping covenant. They weren't living covenantally with one another. They weren't tapping that Jewish root. They're just eating like it's something. And Paul's like, you're being judged all over the place. We've buried people. You've buried people because of this. That's why they got sick. Because your, your physical body can't take in physical covenant food while you're breaking covenant, and you'll still survive that. That's why some of you are sick. This, we instinctively resist it. This is, this is important. Even the way we do church, the way we practice these things, like, well, we just, you know, God said do communion. Really? Really? Did he? Where's that? <laughs> the Lord's Supper was the way they met. It was a covenant meal. Then they shared the Spirit, which is covenant. The gift of the Spirit is covenantal. God says, I give you my being. I will live inside your body, and you will live inside me. So when they got together, they would share a meal, and they would share the Spirit. And that was church, covenant community. We tend to resist these things. We arrange them our way so that we can kind of live in and live out at the same time. So th to me, when I think of Jewish roots, I think of this. I think of covenant living. And it, it can be overbearing when you're used to something different. But when we think and live biblically, it's like, well, this is, this is what we signed up for. Right? This is what love is. It's exactly the way we do natural family naturally. The church is not kind of like that. The church is that more. Not less. What is Jesus saying when he says, if any man come after me? He's speaking covenantally. Not just talking about hardcore disciples. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about covenant. If any person will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a call to covenant. God doesn't know another kind of love. Love means I give myself away to the beloved. That's just what I do. It's who I am from eternity in the absolute purity of my foreverness. I just want to give myself to those I love. That's what it means God is love. It means he's covenantal. And we're like, I don't know if Israel's been replaced. He made a covenant with them. We live in a world where we, we're designed to break covenant, a chip and a sip. We, you know, we go here, we go there, we go offended. We break contracts. We have no-fault divorces. And the Lord's like, I told that man I would, be, I, I would give him this land, and all the families of the earth will be blessed in him. And that was the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. It doesn't get replaced. Can you imagine my son waking up and saying, Dad, your devotions have been a little boring, and Mom's food has been a little bland, which would never be said. But if he did say that and then said, so from now on I'm going to go attend the Volk family? Which, by the way, I know a lot of people who do want to attend the Volk family. So you don't attend family. You're born into my house. We're family. There's a covenant that's natural. I don't even have to sign a contract. You're, you're my son. You four are my daughters. You're my wife. I'm your husband. It's, it's, it's a bond that goes deeper than everything else. In the spirit, it's more. It's not less. And we've turned church into a game. You guys want Jewish roots? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm done. Let's pray. No, I hope I can get my iPad back on here. Okay. Abraham believed in Yahweh and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's why I see that as a covenantal statement. Because it's in the context of covenant. So is our faith. Okay, no, back to Jesus. Back to Jesus. Sorry about that. He also says in a similar passage, if you come after me and don't hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, even your own soul, you're not worthy to be my disciple. It's like, what, what is that about? You're telling us to hate? He doesn't mean like emotionally loathe the very people he elsewhere tells us to command and give, uh, he, he commands us to give our lives for. But what he's saying is, any natural covenant is like zero compared to a covenant with me. 
That's what he's saying. Like, you can't say, well, you know what, but my family considerations would, would, would cause me to question certain things in my relationship with the Lord. And the Lord's like, no, you, you made a covenant. And you didn't have to enter into it. There's this gigantic word that consists of two letters, I-F in English, if. And in Greek, it's actually two letters also, or three, if it's a different form. It's a very short word, if. If is a huge word. It's like, it's up to you. But if you want to come into my family, you don't do it your way. You do it my way. And this new family, new family is a huge part of following Jesus. It's, it's the second commandment, second only to God himself. First one is love God, second one is love your neighbor. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. So he says, look, th- those natural bonds that are, especially in that culture where everything was about family and association. You don't, especially speaking to Jewish disciples who the, the, the Jewish background gives us the family covenant theme and ideal. And yet Jesus says, you even break that for me. If your synagogue ostracizes you because of your oath to me, because you believed in me, then you're going to have to wear that. Even My own mother, I mean, my mother, my father, my associations in my village, my synagogue, that's me. That's my life. That's what my life consists of. I don't have a life outside of that. Life was found in who we're associated and related to. That's what life was in an honor, shame, very familial society that valued honor and shame more than it honored, uh, cherished material things. And Jesus is like, yeah, you break all those bonds if, if they compete with me. I'm not say, saying he was saying, like, get a divorce or something, but... Paul did have to explain, if it did come down to that, then you have to let the unbeliever leave. If the unbeliever wants to stay, you, you, they stay. I'm, I'm not anti-marriage. I'm very pro-marriage. I'm very pro-covenant. I've been married since I was 19 years old. I love being married. I love my wife. I love marriage. I love the covenant. But that's not an excuse to break covenant with God is the point. Jesus supersedes all of that. It's extraordinary. Because when we think covenantally, it's like, well, yeah, no doubt. Let's move on to something else. But, it, but in our culture, we have gotten just a little superficial about that. So God's covenantal. He's, he thinks and speaks and lives this way. So he makes a covenant with his man. In verse 7, he says to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Lord Yahweh, how may, not, how may I know that I will possess it? Verse 9. So he said to him, uh, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he didn't cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. I love that little picture because Yahweh had not appeared to make the covenant yet. So Abraham had to protect what was there from the birds of prey. Just love that picture of protection while he's awaiting the covenant. Then the sun was going down, a deep sleep came upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Sounds kind of negative, and something so wonderful is about to happen. But there was some predictive elements to this, looking forward to the exodus. Because his people were going to go into a deep sleep, into slavery in Egypt. And so, hey, Scott, God bless you, man. I'm sorry, I just saw you and recognized you, one of our grads from years ago. God bless you, man. Great to see you. Scott D'Amato, you see him? Scott? Two Scots. Okay, sorry to to interrupt. This deep sleep fell upon Abram that was a prediction, you know, your people are going to go through this, but they got to hang on to the covenant. We're talking four centuries. But they have this promise. They have this legacy. They have this story from Abram. Like, during a deep sleep, God came to him. It's going to happen again in the Exodus. During the darkness and terror of slavery in Egypt, Yahweh will come. And he did. So um, Abram's asleep. Terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. There is a plan. I'll bring you back here, okay? It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed through the pieces. 
So the Lord appeared to him in these forms, again echoing forward to the Exodus. The cloud image and the fire image. Cloud by day, fire by night. The Lord's like, I'm going to bring you out, and the way I do it will be stamped on your history forever. I'm the covenant God. I will come for you. Even if you die, I will raise you back up. I will come for you. I'm the covenant God. Guys, four centuries? Four centuries. Just passing on the traditions. He's going to come for us. He's going to come for us. Where is his coming? Where is his coming? With him a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But here's the deal. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. There is, I'm not going to keep singing that, so don't worry. There is no shadow of turning with thee. That's covenant. Faithfulness is covenant keeping. That's part of what was meant when it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. For God, truth isn't just the right doctrine, it's faithfulness. All, what, what's, um, there is no shadow of turning with thee. All, what does it say? There is no shadow of turning with thee. That's the, that's the chorus. What's, thou changest not. That's the one. You do not change. Your compassions, they fail not. It's like if you read that like a young person, it's like, your compassions fail. Not. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. After 400 years, hang on, man. Come on, God's a covenant God. (laughs) The darker it gets, the brighter the sun when it appears. He's going to come through. It's impossible. He even says this in Hebrews. It's impossible for him to lie. He wouldn't lie if he didn't make an oath. But he makes a promise and then an oath. And it's all for us. I will come for you. I am with you. That's the covenant God. This is why we believe that God himself restored his people to his land. Beginning in the late 19th century, but then it became official after war, or before war, and then after war again, in 1948. Because it is their land, even if they're not believing. God will someday give them their land back. But he also wants to give them new life. That's going to happen too. He's the covenant God. That's why Paul can say all Israel will be saved. Because God made a covenant with them. It's not automatic they have to believe. But Paul knows they're going to believe one day. Because God made a covenant, and history can't end without the fulfillment of that covenant. So we pray with burden, but we pray with assurance based on the covenants of God. And then when we join covenant, we're like, Lord, you've covenanted with us. We covenant with you. This is, where you're, this is how you get a Jesus people and a Jesus revolution. You stop doing church as usual and start following Jesus. And being a covenant people. Covenant, covenant, covenant. <laughs> Baptism, Lord's Supper. I mean, it's all covenant. We call each other brother and sister. Because we're family. It's a natural covenant. What time is it? Okay, good, good. So I'll just... You can't get more covenantal than the very word and idea of body. It's a natural covenant. But man, are we bonded. I, I guarantee it, whatever signs and wonders healing movement there is, and it's, there's a legit healing movement out there. God's raised that up. I love it. I love it. I pray for more of it almost every day. But I'll tell you what, we will experience more healing in our physical bodies if we heal the body of the Messiah. And that is a tall order. Paul himself flourished with signs and wonders, but didn't tell the Corinthians, well, I'll just come and pray for you, that you get, sick, that you, you get healed from your sickness. He said, you need, to, you need to wait for one another when you eat the Lord's Supper, because if this body isn't healed, then these bodies are going to be compromised. So we, we, it's like we play with the covenant. It's like, Lord, we want the benefits of your covenant, but we don't want to be covenantally obligated. Well, that's works. No, it's not works. It's covenant. That's what the poor grace preaching misses. There's no concept of covenant. It's only God's side. Well, God does all this, you know, and there's this even implicit universalism. It's like everybody's going to be saved. It's like, where's covenant? Where's love in that? The very idea of body screams organic covenant. 
We are one. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. I mean, how often do you think, do you contemplate, do you concentrate, do you meditate upon, do you celebrate and study the pinky toe on your left foot? How often? How often does that come to pass? Probably not often. And don't feel bad about that. Probably very few of us do. Right? But if you're walking through the house at a brisk pace, you know where I'm going. This happened once. I caught that. It was the leg from a little trampoline. It was a little bit underneath the trampoline. And I was walking fast. We were getting ready to go somewhere. Just that brisk pace. You ever heard a really good, hard, ripe carrot when it breaks? That's what it sounded like. Pop, snap. Here's what I didn't say. It's just it's this little toe all the way on the end. <laughs> my elbows are working, right? My heart's pumping. My all these other body parts that are much more important. They, they don't even know. That's not what happened. It's amazing how the rest of my body came to very fast attention. I mean, my, my brain was hopefully working right. I was in school at the time. I was studying. Things were sharp, right? All of it bowed down. <laughs> Remember the old Tebow thing where we all came? That's exactly what, oh! And suddenly, my little toe was all that. You can't just snip. I mean, it's a, just that. The whole body is engaged with the pain of that one little member. And we're exalted. As long as the, the guys that are up front, they look the best and everything's awesome and our experience is good. And we're, we don't even... Covenantal means we're a body, man. You don't have Jesus in your city if you don't have his body working. It's, it's not theater. It's a body. Who's going to build the body? When you talk body, that's covenantal. The whole body image comes from the Passover... Because Jesus knew Passover was, this is my body. And Paul took that and said, ah, we're the body of the Messiah. We are his body. If you don't have the body of the Messiah, you just, you don't have the Messiah in your city. We must return. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep it, keep it Jewish. We must return to our Jewish roots so we could think covenantally and start restoring the faith. We are not consumers shopping for a spiritual experience. We are covenant members of God and one another. Where's the body? Where's the organic covenant? Lord, help us. Some members are more prominent, right? But we belong to one another. And it's not just we're a team. It's more than, it's deeper than that. The saints are equipped to do all the work of the ministry. Everything that gets done should be done by the people like you and me. And the leaders are there to train us to do that, to equip us and help us. And it's all about building the body. By the way, that's God's eternal purpose is the building of his body on this side of eternity. And then it looks like a, the kingdom consuming the world on the other side of the return of Jesus. But in the meantime, it's all about building the body. And that's all about covenant. Right? Okay, another illustration. How often do we think about our liver? Some of us have had to, but usually we don't think about it, and none of it gets seen. We don't, you know, there's not like God made a little transparent section in our, you know, that we then wear a shirt that has a, so we can see, nice liver, it's looking good. Have you, have you been eating, the, you know, your kind of work, liver workout thing? We don't do that. The, the liver is completely hidden. It's covered by other parts to be protected because it's so, tender and vulnerable, but man, you can't live without it, right? It filters the blood. You know, there's some members of the body, they're just not going to be prominent, they're not like socially charismatic and easy to, you know, to socialize with, but man, I'll tell you what, they're praying in ways in their secret place that saved the church a thousand times last year. They're filtering the blood flow. They're filtering the blood flow. You know the way we honor them? We surround them and protect them. We make sure they're covered and they're blessed and they're, they feel accepted and they're, 
They're strengthened because they're crucial to us. We can't do it without them. You know, you, we, th- these little parts of our body we don't think about or seem uh, th- that they're not very noticeable, but they're just as crucial as every other part. And we would understand this, and we do understand it, when we think covenantally. It's just who God is as Trinity and the way he deals with people. So where do we go from here now that I have a, a, just a few minutes? How shall I do this? Okay, well, um, let's re- lead, read a little bit more here. So verse 18, on that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I've given this land. That's why we believe it's their land now, even mostly in unbelief. We're glad Israel has their land. It was time in 1948 after the worst attempt at genocide in human history because God made a covenant. Now, there were times that he said in the law, "When when you all turn to me out there, I'll bring you back to your land. But there's other times he just brings them back anyway. Like after 70 years of exile and now after however many centuries, 1948. Now, we pray for the covenant to get complete. We pray for revival in Israel. But this is why we believe what we believe. It's rooted in God's covenant. And when Scott's book's book comes out, there's a whole chapter on this, right? Uh, Gen- should I t- turn to Genesis 17? Let's l- wait a second. Okay, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. He, he, he reiterates, but l- listen to the way he puts it. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And then he goes into the land again and the sign of the covenant is circumcision. But in verse 7 and verse 13, he calls it an everlasting covenant. You guys are probably familiar with these passages. You can write them down, look at them later. There is, of course, the well-known passage in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 27 and following. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. As I've watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, to bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. So even the chastisements, even severe judgments are not the end of the story because God made a covenant. Well, he's establishing a new one. Verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So there's the declaration of the new covenant that every person in here enjoys when we believe in Jesus. Even those of us who are not Jews. But take note that that covenant was called the new covenant, which Jesus cut in his blood in Luke 22 and elsewhere. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is that covenant. That new covenant was made to the house of Israel and Judah. Not to the Gentiles directly. That's why I believe Israel is still a distinct everlasting covenant in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Because the New Covenant was made to them, but the whole point of making it with them was so that they can then share it with others. And Paul, as a Jewish apostle, said this about that. He said this. He said, wow! This was your intention the whole time. You made a covenant with my people so people like me could run out and say, hey, all you Greeks and Syrians, you Spaniards and Africans and everything else, you can believe just like us and enter the same covenant and be grafted into the same people because God's the covenant God. He made a covenant with us so we could share it with you because that's what covenant people do. They share. They love. That's why Jews should not be so stuck on themselves and Gentiles should not be arrogant because we're all one big happy family. Everything that's special is meant to be shared. That's the whole point. So we Gentiles can afford this new covenant to be made with Israel and Judah because that means it's going to be made with us because they're chosen as the servant to bring covenant to the nations. Well, what's a little bit more here about the nature of this covenant Um, verse 32, it's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the hand of Egypt. It's not like the Torah covenant. My covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. There's that covenant language again. They broke it even though I was a faithful husband. It's their fault, but he's like, I got to do something better, which is the language Hebrews uses. Even though I was a husband declares the Lord. Verse 33, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them 
and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What's he saying here? Obviously, it's, it's, it's an internal work, but when we read the writings of the new covenant, we understand that this new covenant, God has so deeply committed himself to his people. He's saying, I, I, I'm not just going to give you stipulations to my covenant. I'm going to recreate you and make you a new kind of human. I'm not just going to give you a ticket to heaven. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to give you my spirit and make you great. Because your old person's going to die with my son, and you're going to rise to newness of life. You'll be a new kind of person. Then, when you have my commandments, they'll be inside of you with fire and joy. And you will keep them. We will be bonded by my spirit forever, covenanted forever. The nature of the new covenant is called grace. Grace means we're transformed free of charge. But covenant means it's our obligation with love and joy to cultivate spirit, covenant life with the Lord and with one another. So God's covenant is like, look, guys, I'm not just going to give you a contract with stipulations. I'm going to step in and die your death so that your old man dies. Then I'm going to rise up with your life and give it to you when you join covenant. I'm not going to say, okay, here's how you have to obey First, first I'm going to say, here, you're a brand new sort of human being. You're a new species. Old Adam, gone in you. Messiah, that's who you are now. You're of the seed of the Messiah. You get the Holy Spirit. John calls it the, him the seed of God. God's seed in us. You're born into the family. You have a new nature. Cultivate that nature in covenant with God and with one another, and that is new covenant. Well, you know what? It's 5 till 10. I'm, if I go on, I'll just go on to something completely new and different. Let's just stand together and pray about this. It, it, my session is over, so let's just close in prayer, and then Scott will tell you what the break is going to be. Paul says in Romans 8, we are under obligation. He actually dares to say that in the New Covenant. But not to the flesh. But then he goes on to say, but if you by the Spirit are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's our covenantal obligation is to develop spirit life individually and in relationship to one another. That's new covenant. So, Lord, we pray for your help with all of this. We are so thankful that you are so patient with us, that you're our Father, you're the covenant God who takes care of us, who, who provides for us. This new covenant is so awesome. You know, the scripture says, um, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. Lord, I pray that you'll fulfill that verse in our midst. Make us know your covenant by the Spirit, that we could rejoin ourselves to you and to one another as covenant people, that we might bear the testimony of your glory in the earth with love, and joy and power because Jesus is King and Lord alive from the dead and he deserves such a people in his name we pray amen amen